From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me again is Peter Cohn, CQ's budget and appropriations team editor. Thanks for being here, Pete. Thanks for having me, David. And we wanted to explore some of the fallout from the two-year budget deal that Congress just passed before leaving town for the August recess, because that budget deal brings to an end a decade of strict spending caps that were imposed under this 2011 deficit reduction law we've been living with for the past eight years. That law, you might recall, sought to curb federal red ink because it was trying to cut the amount of discretionary spending each year, and it would trigger across-the-board cuts, known as a sequester, if the tight spending caps were breached. Those caps were supposed to remain in effect through fiscal 2021. That's another two years from now. But the budget deal Congress just passed lifted the caps for the last two fiscal years that were governed by that 2011 law. So now we're about to live with looser spending limits and no threat of sequester. It's a new era. And Pete, you had a fascinating analysis this week that explored the impact of, of the 2011 law, what, what impact it really had. And it seemed like to me like it offered some good news and bad news here in the effort to cut deficits. Walk us through a little of, of what you found there. Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, and thanks for calling it fascinating. It probably put a lot of people to sleep as well, but I appreciate well, that. Well, for green eye shade types, it was, <laughs> right, you had yeah. a lot of interesting numbers in there that people I, should take a look at. It. I, I hope so. I hope so. So I, I really, I think it's always interesting to go back and look at the predictions that were made when at the time things happened and, and see how, how things actually, yeah. actually played out. So if you look now at the projections that this, the Congressional Budget Office is making um, for the next couple of years under this new budget deal, the two-year deal that was just signed. Uh, and, but if you look at what's actually happened in the, pre, in the preceding years, including from the time that this law was initially passed eight years ago, what's happened is that by a couple of different ways of looking at it, I think reasonable ways of looking at it, spending has fallen dramatically over that period. And some of the spending cuts, it's true, have are uh, resulting from these tight spending caps on appropriators. That's absolutely true. Um, but a lot of it also is is a result of of things that legislators have absolutely nothing to do with, like the path of interest rates, interest payments between the fiscal 2012 and fiscal 2021 are going to be in the on the order of three trillion dollars less than what the Congressional Budget Office was projecting back before this, this law was signed. So think about that. Three, that's essentially $3 trillion in spending cuts that Congress had absolutely nothing to do with. So the, the caps did have an effect, and the early years of the sequester did have an effect. So they did have an effect, but just absolutely. not— just not. But it didn't do nearly as much as the law initially projected would be, would be advertised for. Right? Well, it, it actually did about as much. There were big cuts to discretionary spending. Right. People forget how, how much higher the levels were back in 2010 than they were today. I mean, you know, with inflation, they're just back to where they were in 2010 right now, even with all of these big spending deals that everybody's bashing right now. Okay. So if you're these federal agencies who are now celebrating these, the, the budget deals of the last couple of years— you're thinking, well, this is great. You know, I don't have to live with this anymore. But man, think about all this, the, the opportunity costs we just lost for the last six years before this. Yeah. So how do you assess the law overall, Pete? I mean, I mean somewhat effective? Uh, the, the law was incredibly effective 
if, if you really look at the numbers, the law was very effective in cutting discretionary spending. It was. Right. Discretionary You're spending. You're talking about those first rounds of cuts cut. that went. Now, that- yeah. Now, if you look at the raw numbers, like from, from an assumption that, because the CBO, again, has to assume that everything that is happening today is going to continue in the future. That's this called the CBO baseline. By law, that's the way the CBO has to imagine everything is, is going to play out. So back in 2010, we were at extremely elevated levels of, of troop presence in Iraq and Afghanistan. That was kind of the height of the, the, the kind of the surge years in Iraq and Afghanistan. The CBO said, okay, that's going to just continue out. That's going to keep growing with inflation over time. If you, even if, so the, the actual war budgets came down dramatically from that time. So if you factor in how much money we, quote unquote, saved by removing, actually removing troops from, from war zones during that period, it's, it's close to, I think it's about $1.9 trillion in lower discretionary spending from the projections that were made before the Budget Control Act. Backing that out, if you say, okay, forget about, we knew the war was going to wind down, we knew the troops were going to come home, that's not really, that doesn't really count. If you back all that out, it's still a huge amount of, of discretionary savings, not even counting the, the reduction. So in the we got presence. we got a good amount of savings compared to what was projected back Correct. in 2011. Right. So could, and we got that first round of discretionary cuts, but the second part of the job that was envisioned at right. the time for that super committee to come up with more savings, either through entitlement program curbs right. or taxes, that never happened. And so and then so they tr- they tried to trigger those across the board sequester cuts. But actually, your analysis pointed out how almost all of those sequester cuts have since been erased. Ninety-six percent of the sequester cuts have been erased. They got basically almost back to where they were in the original. So that part didn't. Capital. That part didn't right, work. Right. right now, right. but what's what I think is is re- also really interesting about how when we where we looked at the numbers, is that yes, the super committee did not do its job. They they did not go out and attack. Revenue. Now, they did end up getting a little bit of revenue out of that late 2012 fiscal cliff deal where they let some of the Bush tax cuts expire. That's true. So they kind of did, did a little piece of it there. Um, but they never did anything on the so-called entitlements, right? I mean, you know, the, the Republicans came in and said, we got to do something about entitlements. Democrats said, OK, that's fine. We can do something about entitlements, but you got to raise taxes also. Interestingly enough, yes, everybody says, oh, Congress doesn't have the will, the stomach to do anything about entitlement programs. Those costs are way down as well. You know, now proportionally not as much, only probably about, you know, less than 10 percent. But they've saved something like a trillion, almost $2 trillion in the entitlement program since those earlier CBO projections. So you can say Congress kind of got lucky here. Yeah. Con- well, it's not Congress. It's, 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 the, it's the economy. Well, in terms I mean, of Congress's effort to cut deficits, they got lucky because— Along the way, something because, funny happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, were, they set out. They said, we're going to cut this much. They didn't. But— they got this windfall basically from interest rates, from the Federal Reserve holding down rates, everybody wanting to be in, in U.S. Treasuries because it's the safest place to be with, for their investments. And then in the entitlement programs, you just had, you know, things just kind of kept happening along the way. You had the CBO would, would come out and say, oh, well, we've got fewer, pe- fewer people going on Social Security and Medicare than we thought. We've got prescription drugs prices are lower because you've got uh, more generics and more drugs coming off patent. So drugs are cheaper. All these things were kind of – food prices are down, so food stamp costs are way down. Inflation is down. So all these things were just kind of happening along the way. Congress didn't do any of it. Now, the Congress has cut a little bit. They had this – part of the sequester was cutting these so-called mandatory programs, some of the entitlement programs. But that was only – that's really on the that's margins. About, you know, like less than $150 billion over 10 years. Yeah. We're talking about over a trillion dollars in savings from the entitlement programs that Congress had nothing to do with. But it's happened anyway. 
which proves how perilous long-term budget projections can be. <laughs> Extremely, yeah. Um, I mean, so bottom line, it sounds like the, the law sort of worked. It didn't do everything it was supposed to, and, and Congress got lucky along the way. Yeah, but here's the, here's, the, the, here's the other key point, and this is what I think a lot of the people who depend on, discretion, on, on these sort of discretionary programs will, will tell you, which is that, look, discretionary spending, yes, was cut. It, it did end up being cut, despite the fact that we had these deals and we, we erased those the sequester. Actual spending is down, is way down from where it was back in, in 2010, 2011. And so, but the problem is discretionary spending was never the long-term budget problem. Right. As a percentage of, G, of the economy, of GDP, discretionary spending was always dropping and it's still dropping. Even under this latest deal, it's, gonna, it's projected to go down further from here where we are. The things that are causing... The, uh, the, the, the real imbalance are still the entitlement programs uh, and the fact that tax revenue, if you just assume, assume that the uh, 2017 tax cuts are going to get extended, revenue is just going to kind of be flat from where it is today. So revenue is not keeping up with the spending. And so bottom line, how are the deficits now compared to what they were supposed to be? We find the deficits over a 10-year period are down overall by about three and a half trillion dollars. So why are they not? Uh, why are they not down even more? It's because well, yes, we Congress has passed a lot of tax cuts since 2011. A lot of tax cuts. <laughs> you know, I mean, the fiscal cliff deal, which is what happened in at the end of 2012, when all of the Bush year tax cuts from from 2001 and three were going to expire. Most of those were extended. Only those for the very wealthiest were not extended. Uh, so there's a lot of tax cuts right there. Uh, 2017 tax cuts, of course, kind of got a later start in this process in this 10-year period we're looking at. But yes, a, a fairly substantial chunk of revenue was lost because of those tax cuts. But also, the Congressional Budget Office had to, had to over the, the 10-year period, revise down their just their pure economic, what they call economic and technical uh, revisions. They've revised down the amount of revenue that the Treasury was going to collect by about $2 trillion dollars. During that time, so th again, th th these are uh, this revenue loss is two trillion is something that Congress was not directly responsible for. Democrats, Republicans were not directly responsible for for that. That was because the CBO kept lowering their projections of economic growth, for the most part, uh, in, in this country. So there's just so many other factors that are that are uh, hugely uh, responsible for fluctuations in, in the deficit. That you know you can't pin all of it. Uh, on Congress. But, you know, did Congress pass a lot of tax cuts and, and uh, successive administrations signed them into law? Yeah, of course, because at the, at the end of the day, everybody likes tax cuts. And so we're still facing massive deficits. Yeah. But if you look at it but from the, re from the reasonable assumption back in 2011 that Congress was always going to do the most expensive thing, which, you know, you could be forgiven for making they that, tend to making do, that yeah. assumption, deficits are down about three and a half trillion. From that compared standpoint. to the 2011. Compared to 2011. Now, that, I mean, that the Budget Control Act only supposed to save 2.1 trillion. We're down three and a half trillion. So, you know, I think that's interesting. Okay, Pete. Well, thank you for that uh, analysis, and everybody should check that out in CQ Roll Call. Peter Cohn's analysis of the 2011 deficit reduction law that uh, is is well worth a read. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. It's cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. 
My thanks again to Peter Cohn, our budget and appropriations team editor, for joining me. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. See you next week.